Hello and welcome to the podcast of First Church. I'm glad you could join us. This message is from our Purposed Youth Revival Weekend that we just had in August 2023 from Brother Kelly. And uh, it was just a great time having the Kellys with us this weekend. And uh, Brother Ryan Kelly preached this word called For God's Sake. And so it's my prayer that it's a blessing to you today. Um, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 37. And while you're turning there, I want to say how grateful I am to have my wife with me, traveling with me. Uh, I love her, her dearly, and um, she, loves, she loves me too. She thinks I'm perfect, and she's, she's kind of obsessed. It's a little weird. She's my biggest fan. I, sometimes I mess up on purpose just to knock off my, you know, knock myself off that pedestal that she keeps me on. Um, but I'm very glad to have her, my number one supporter. Love you to death. Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah chapter 37. And I'm going to start in verse 33. I, I'm going to do things a little weird, all right? Normally, Whenever you tell a story, you start at the beginning, go through the middle, you work your way to the end. I'm going to tell you the end of the story. And we're going to work backwards, okay? Here's the end of the story, starting in verse 33. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now we have little sayings that we like to use where I'm from. I don't know if you do here in California, but we, we use little things to express our bewilderment in, in certain situations. Ones like, for crying out loud, or what in the world comes to mind? But there's another one that I've heard people use, whether for good or, or for bad. They'll say, for God's sakes. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. That's my title. For God's sake. All right? It was the people who were under attack. But God said, I'm going to defend this city. Not, not for you. For my sake. For mine own sake. So I came to talk to some people that might find themselves under attack very much like the people of Israel. But I want to encourage you tonight that God is going to defend you. He's going to work on your behalf for His sake. I believe that I'm talking to some people that are in need of a miracle and I came here with a simple message. He's got a personal stake in your victory. That you are a representative of His kingdom. And his reputation, not yours, but his reputation is on the line. And he will defend it. That he's got a personal stake in your victory. And I believe that God wants to come through for us in this service tonight. So before you're seated, why don't you take one more moment and just say a prayer for the remainder of this service. I've got high expectations. I'm believing for nothing short of something supernatural. I'm not here for pretty church or pretty preaching. 
I'm here for an encounter with our Lord and Savior. God, we're here for you. It's all about you. We're praying that you would open up the heavens and let there be an outpouring of your anointing and your spirit in this place. Pour out miracles and signs and wonders. Give us confirmation of what you're going to do. Let lives be changed and impacted by the power that's in your name, God. And Lord, right now, we give you all the glory and all the honor. And we lift up a shout of praise tonight. We worship you, Lord. We praise your name. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. If you believe that he's got a personal stake in your victory, why don't you look at the person beside you and tell them, God's got you. And you may be seated. I spoke too soon. Thank you so much for the water. Keep them coming. Hezekiah begins his reign as king over Judah. He's a very young 25-year-old ready to make his mark in the world. And he wants to be a good king. He wants to do right by God. I know that me personally, I want to be the priest of my home. I want to lead my family down the right path. I want to make better decisions that are going to benefit not just me, but my children and my, my wife, my whole family in years to come. I know that what I do, well, the, 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 the choices that I make are not just going to affect me, but they're going to affect the people that are around me for years to come. I want to give my life to God and determine that as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I told you a little bit last night that my, my, I, have, I will fight for my children. If they go to hell, it will be over my dead body. It's, going, it's not going to come without a fight. You're going to have to go through me. And so Hezekiah begins with an aggressive two-part campaign that first sees him tearing down any unauthorized shrines and altars in Israel. And then the second part is rebelling against the king of Assyria and refusing to serve him. And so very aggressively, he searches all over Israel to find anything, anything that might not be pleasing to the Lord. So in 2 Kings 18 and 4, the Bible says that Hezekiah removed the high places, and he broke the images and cut down the groves, and he broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For under those the days, the, the, uh, under those days the, the children of Israel did burn incense to it. It was a thing that had saved them, but now they're, they're, they're worshiping it. They turned it into its own idol. We, we have a way of doing that. I'm convinced that if we still had the cross that Jesus was crucified on, we would make that an idol. And we would be trying to get a little splinter and, and, and put it on our bookshelf and, and, and bowing down and trying to worship that thing instead of the God that died on the cross. Because we have a way to kind of make idols out of things that aren't intended to be objects of our worship. He trusted in God, Hezekiah did. And so he made up in his mind that if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. If I'm, I'm, I'm not going to live for God half-hearted. If I'm doing this, I'm going to give it my everything. But don't think that just because you make up in your mind that you're going to live for God, that life is going to magically turn into easy street living for you because it won't. Because now you're swimming against the tide. 
And so 2 Kings 18 and 7 says, And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Syria and served him not. So Hezekiah, if you thought that serving the enemy was hard, wait until you actively rebel against the enemy. Because they did not care if you were destroyed whenever you were serving them. And so you better prepare for a fight when you set them yourself against them. Now, I could stop right here and talk to a few people that thought that life was magically going to work out and our problems were going to disappear whenever we turned our life over to God. Because, see, when you were living in sin, the devil didn't care if he destroyed you. But now that you've turned your life over to God, you need to understand that you are going to come under attack because now you are actively against him. Let me tell you why some people, and, and, and some of you may have walked away from the church and you came back. And if you did, that's, that's wonderful. I applaud you because I understand that it's a hard thing to do. Some of you might be on the verge and you might be on the fence right now. Let me tell you that the reason so many people can, can have, you, have you ever noticed that when people leave the church, they have to flaunt their freedom? You know why? They, and, and it's true, they, they, they feel... They feel freedom. You know why? Because now they're at peace. Because now there's no, there's no fight. The devil's not against them. And so they're at, they're at peace. They feel freedom in their decision. And so they feel like they're, they're, they're living right. They feel like they've made a good choice because now the devil's not against them. He, he doesn't care. Well, I mean, no, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Making up your mind to live for God is not a decision that you make. It is an action that you take. And you do not accomplish this life by repeating some phrase of acceptance and living your life the way that you were before. See, some of you, you, might, you might be on the fence right now. And if you leave, I'm here to tell you that you are going to find peace. It's not godly peace, but you're going to find peace. Because making up your mind to live for God is getting rid of some things that aren't, aren't pleasing to him. It's tearing down altars to idols and shrines that were never meant to be there, just like Hezekiah did. You were, you're working to destroy what the devil worked to build. Assyria would not have cared if Judah lived for God through thought only. That's why you're going to feel peace whenever you leave. Because the devil doesn't care. You might go to another church. And you feel peace about it because you and I, we, I still serve God, but now I don't have this fight. I can live any way that I want to. And so you, you have this, this fake peace because the devil doesn't care if you live for God in your mind as long as you don't do it in action. Because then you'd be working to tear down everything that he built. Then you'd be set against him. Assyria wouldn't have cared if, if Judah lived for God and thought only, but for Hezekiah, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord took something more than thought. It took action. He made up in his mind, I will serve God even if that means putting myself against the world. I'm going to serve him no matter what it cost me. And so the story begins in Isaiah 36 with the enemy, King Sennacherib of Assyria. He comes against all the defense cities of, of Judah. And it, be, it 
It begins with victory, don't it? Because life just works out hunky-dory like that. No. Sennacherib of Assyria comes against them and he overtakes them. Hezekiah does the right thing and it begins with a loss. He loses. He, he, he turns his life over to God and he makes up his mind that Israel's gonna serve him no matter what it costs us and God lets them lose. Hezekiah sets out to make things right in his life but the enemy gets a win. Tell me how that makes sense. But I'm telling you this not to discourage you but to encourage you. Because I don't want you to be dismayed when a, a, a decision that you make to do good, when you make that decision, but then bad things happen. Because turning your life over to God doesn't magically make our problems go away. What it's supposed to do is give us the strength and the means to now deal with your problems. It doesn't mean your problems are going to go away. And so don't throw in the towel just because life gets a little bit hard. Don't quit because things don't seem to be going your way now. Because I came to tell you tonight that God has got a personal stake in your outcome. He's invested in you. He cares about you. He loves you and it matters to him what happens to you. It matters what you do. Trust in God. Put your faith in God. But you also need to know that your trust, that same faith that you place in him, it's, it's going to be tested. It's going to come under attack. Hezekiah cleans house and he took down the idols and the shrines and unauthorized altars. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings 18, 5 through 6, that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but he kept his commandments. And it's that very foundation that the enemy attacks. This is the first attack. Say ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Who, who do you trust, Hezekiah? You, you rebelled and refused to serve me, and so I brought my weapons and soldiers that are ready for war? Who is it that gave you this confidence to do so? Who do you trust? Where did you get this confidence from? Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying because before the enemy ever drew the first sword or fired the first arrow on the city, the first attack was on their trust. Here's Sennacherib's forces doing a little flex on Israel. Look at, look at how big your problems are. They're, they're, they're puffing themselves up a little bit. They show up with what the Bible calls, even the Bible calls it a great army. And let me tell you, if the Bible says that it's a great army, you, you better believe it's a great army. You know? God's, what was it in, in, in Elijah? He talks about this couple that was rich. If God says you got money, man, you, you're loaded. All right? If, if the Bible says it was a great army, you see these folks everywhere, okay? And they want to make that plain before they ever attack. They're, they're puffing themselves up, making the problem really big. Maybe bigger than, it's, than it actually is. I, I don't know, but they're, they're going to make sure you know. Before I even ask you a question, why don't you take a look at my strength for war? And after he tries to intimidate with his strength, then he attacks their trust. On whom do you trust Hezekiah? That's the first attack. 
It's going to be on your trust. But if the enemy cannot get you to yield your trust in the Lord, then he's going to make you question everything that you've done for God up to that point. He'll make you question your commitment. He'll make you question if everything that you've done up to this point was even necessary. See, Isaiah 36 and 7 says, But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? See, th- this, this particular verse is not about uh, idols and shrines. It was also about unauthorized altars, even if they were supposedly dedicated to Jehovah. We're not just talking about false idol worship here. Six, six times in Deuteronomy chapter 12, it is affirmed by God that Israel may only sacrifice, and I quote, in the place that the Lord your God will choose. That is in Jerusalem, Deuteronomy 12 and 5, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and thither thou shalt come. 12 and 11. Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. It's there that you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offering of your hand, and all your choice vows which you vow unto the Lord. I I don't need to read all of them. I think that you get the point. It's only... In Jerusalem, that there's supposed to be an altar. But there are altars and high places all over. Because it's not just idol worship that Hezekiah gets rid of. It's, it's division. It's convenience. Because he says in, in 12 and 17, Thou mayest not eat within thy gates the tithe of thy corn, or of thy wine, or of thy oil, or the firstlings of thy herds, or of thy flock, nor any of thy vows which thou vowest, nor thy freewill offerings, or heave offerings of thy hand. In other words, don't eat it anywhere. Except you, you're not, it, it, it's, it's not a restriction on eating it. It's a restriction on where you can eat it. Verse 18, but thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. That's Jerusalem. Thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that's within thy gates, and thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God in all that thou puttest thine hands unto. You are to worship, yes, but at Jerusalem. There are laws for burnt offering and eating in the place that God shall choose, and there's laws concerning eating sacred food in the place that God shall choose. You can't eat the tithe of your harvest or of your flocks or herds within your gates. It's got to be done at the place that God shall choose. Verse 20 or 21, you can eat flesh, but if the place which the Lord thy God shall choose shall be too far for you. It says you can kill and eat in thy gates as long as you eat not the blood, for the blood is the life, and thou mayest not eat the life with the flesh. Verse 26, only the holy things which thou hast and thy vows thou shalt take and go unto the place which the Lord shall choose. And so the law is clear. When you worship, it's got to be at this altar. But watch this. People are erecting altars in high places everywhere. And you got to understand that it's not just idol worship. No, some altars are erected for convenient worship. Because the place that God chose is too far away from me. It's hard 
for me to take my family there three times a week. And so we'll make us an altar here. See, this is, this is my little one service a week only altar. This is my, my church on the holidays altar. It, it's not very big, but it doesn't take up a lot of space in my home. And I can fit my life around this little altar right here. I, I like it that way because it, te- it doesn't take up a lot of space. So I can still fit everything else that I want. See, if I had a big altar, I'd have to rearrange my whole house. But it's a, it's a little altar, and so I can fit whatever. I can, I can put it wherever I want, and it's, it's not going to inconvenience me at all. It's my, my convenient offer, altar. It's, it's, if I go to the place that God chose, they're requiring that I tithe for my harvest and my flocks and, and my herds. But if I, I make this altar, I don't have to, to sacrifice as much because I don't really like all that, that tithing and all that stuff that I really don't think is necessary. Because this altar here, I can still dedicate it to God, but I can live how I want to live and dress how I want to dress. And it's just, it's easier for me because it's not restricting. I, I can have this altar and serve God, but it doesn't cost me as much. But, but don't you worry about me because I'm still worshiping God. I, I own my little altars. You, you can take your family all the way to Jerusalem and make that sacrifice and that commitment if you want to, but that's not for me. I, I don't really feel like I need that commitment and that sacrifice. See, you, you and I, I worship God just like, like you do. We're the same. I, I still serve God, but I don't have to rearrange my life with these big altars. It's just my, my altar of convenience. I'm still living for God. That's why, that's why they feel peace whenever they leave the church. I, I'm still living for God. But this is my little altar. It doesn't require as much. We're, we're, we're the same. Don't worry about me. And so these are the altars that Hezekiah works to get rid of. And then obviously... The enemy has a pretty intricate intelligence network because they pick up on all this. I don't know how they found out, but they said that's fine that you trust in God. But, but is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? He says, wasn't it easier before? Living for God shouldn't have to be this hard, should it? Is all of that stuff that you were, you were required to do really necessary? Did you really? What, wasn't life easier before you had to do all of this, before you had to give all that stuff up? Because if you can't take away your trust, he'll get you to question your commitment. And if he can't take away your commitment, then he'll get you to question your loyalty. He said, was it not Hezekiah that took away these? these are, this is the guy you want to follow? Was it not Hezekiah that took away these altars? Is he really the one that you want to follow? The messengers of the Israelites know how dangerous this temptation is. And so they try to get the Syrian messenger to speak in a language that the rest of the Israelites would not understand. Verse 11, they said, speak, I pray, the end of the servants in the Syrian language. We understand it. But they don't. It's a little secret language for just us so that they don't know what we're talking about because they're going to be tempted if they hear this 
we understand it and speak not to us in the Jews' language in the ears of the people that are on the wall. Don't let them hear what you're saying. But it kind of has an adverse effect because it just encourages the Syrian messenger. I, I wish that we could learn a little bit from the enemy sometimes. They tried to quiet them down. They screamed all the more louder. I wish we could do that. The enemy tells me to hush, and I just say, you ain't seen nothing yet. You thought I was loud before. You thought I was worshiping before. I didn't come talk about that. Let me get back to my... Then the messenger stood, and he cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and said, Hear ye the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he cannot deliver you. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will deliver us. This city shall not be delivered into the, the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me instead. Beware, he says in verse 18, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Because if he can't get you by your trust, He'll attack your commitment. And if he can't get your commitment, he's going to test your loyalty. He's going to test your submission. Is this really the one that you want to follow? Don't listen to this king. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Hearken not to Hezekiah. Don't listen to your pastor. He can't save you. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't let your pastor persuade you. Don't let him make you trust in the Lord. Make an agreement with me instead. Don't, don't be loyal to him. Make an agreement with me. And I'll take care of you. You'll be safe under my arms. But verse 21 says that they held their peace and they answered him not. Not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. Don't say anything. And so these guys, by the name of Eliakim, Shebnon, and Joah, they tell Hezekiah what the Assyrian messenger said. Hezekiah's response is that he rent his clothes. Young people, that doesn't mean that he went and he spent a little money so that he could borrow some for a time being. He did not rent them. He, was, he had money. He could buy his own clothes. It means he tore them. He's in mourning now. It says he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. Because when he's faced with the impossible, the insurmountable, Hezekiah goes to church. When you're faced with a situation... Where it looks like there is no way out. Don't stay home. Go to church. Why don't you get on your knees and turn to prayer? Why don't you turn to God? He, he has a guy sends messengers to the prophet Isaiah. Go to the man of God. They, they say to Isaiah, this is a day of trouble. Frankly, they're underselling it a little bit. Yeah, we in trouble. This is a day of trouble. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. Remnant that is left. Isaiah, we've taken some losses. We've lost some people. We've been hit pretty hard. And I don't know if we're going to make it through this. See, this, this story is also chronicled in 2 Kings. We've been reading out of Isaiah, but it's also chronicled in 2 Kings 18. And, and one chapter... Before this, chapter 17, the Bible says in verse 17 and 18, they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. You know what that is? 
they sacrificed their kids to idol worship. That infuriates God. He, he has a thing for, for parents taking their children Everybody, everybody else might require you to sacrifice your kids. God said, I never required that, and, and you're still serving them anyway. It doesn't make any sense to them. It infuriates them. It makes them angry. He says, they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. They, 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 they killed them for these other gods, and they used divination and enchantments, witchcraft and stuff, and they sold themselves to do evil on the side of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them out of his sight. With Israel. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is, uh, this is after they, they split. When David's son Solomon takes over, Solomon, for all of his, we, we say, you know, the Bible says that Solomon was wise and there was none wiser. For a guy that's supposed to be the wisest in all the world, he sure wasn't very smart. Guy gets 700 wives. Dude, you can't handle one and you're going to get 700. What is wrong with you? All right, one is more than enough. Sometimes one is more than I can take. You're going to get 700. Really? Okay? <laughs> Let me give you a second. Stop running the aisles. And... Look, I, I, I've often said, David's, I, I, Solomon wasn't just wise. He was a collector of wisdom. And I believe in my heart that David informed a lot of Solomon's wisdom. See, Solomon is the product of an affair. He's the son of, of Bathsheba. I don't, I don't have time to get into to all of that story. I'm way off base here. I don't know why I'm talking about any of this right now. But it, it, his life informed Solomon's wisdom. And that's why, I mean, you read through Proverbs and, and it's like an echo of, of so many of, of David's Psalms. And, and it, it's, it's, it's the, same, the same thing. He... Uh, he, he, there's a whole chapter dedicated to the strange woman. And that's, that's, that's well, Solomon never met a woman that he couldn't marry. And so he, he's like, if it's, it's going to be a strange woman, I'll just marry you. Ain't strange anymore. How are you? Nice to meet you. We're married now. So he's got 700 wives. That way it ain't a strange woman anymore. And it, it, it leads him astray. And because of this, there's a split in the kingdom in Israel ends up with, uh, what is it, 10 kingdoms, 10, 10, 10 of the uh, tribes. Judah has a couple of them, and uh, this is what he's talking about. They, he, the Lord removed Israel out of his side. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. I, he, they're telling Isaiah, we used to have bigger, bigger than numbers than this. We, we, we used to have more people than this. Our numbers were greater than what we see right now. How many churches do we know COVID hit them hard? We were devastated. We've seen people leave that never came back. He's, they're telling Isaiah, we used to have a greater ability to, to, to fight an enemy like this, but now it's just us, man. We're struggling here. But God took them out. This is all we have left. Say a prayer for this remnant that's left. Now the enemy's knocking on our door. This is a day of trouble. Say a prayer, please, for the remnant that's left. Isaiah tells them in, in 37, verse 6, 
Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord. Don't be afraid. Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. The Amplified Bible says it like this. Listen carefully. I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So finally, Hezekiah has received a word from God. God's going to take care of the enemy. I don't have to worry about it. God's going to do it. God's going to see you through. He's going to see you through. And pay real close attention. You're not going to lift a finger. I'll make him fall by the sword in his own land. No, no, it's not going to be your sword. It's not going to be your soldiers. It won't be your fight. I'll make him fall by the sword in his own land. But Hezekiah looks out. Here's the problem. Sennacherib's still out there. I've got a word, but it hadn't come to pass yet. He's still alive. He's still a threat. It's going to come when? God loves this word soon. I hate it. <laughs> I can't stand that word. What is soon? The Bible says that a, day, a, a thousand years to him was like a day. I ain't got a thousand years. I don't have a day in your eyes, okay? When is soon going to happen? God says, I'm, I'm going to take care of it, but, it, you know, soon. I'll get to it. Any, any husbands out there have their wife ask them, do a chore? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll do it. When? I'm soon. I'm going to do it soon. I told you, sometimes I have to knock myself off that pedestal that she has me on. I'm sorry. I'm stepping on, your, on, on all your toes here. I'm trying to encourage you. My point is, he says, don't get dis discouraged because it hasn't happened yet. As a matter of fact, King Sennacherib is alive and well. Right now, he's making war against other countries. And apparently, he's doing so quite successfully. He's a bad mamma jamma. <laughs> and despite this word from God coming to Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah, King Sennacherib then sends a letter to Hezekiah. It says in, in 37 verse 10, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Leave God out of it. Just give up, man. Just give up. It says, Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly. And shall thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the children of Eden, which were in, I don't know how to pronounce these names. I told you, I'm just a country boy from Louisiana. Where is the king of, of that guy <laughs> and the king of this other dude and the king of the city of, man, whoo, those ones. Hezekiah gets a word from God that the problem is going to be taken care of. That's what God said. But then Hezekiah gets a letter from the king Sennacherib. Look at my resume. Did you hear? What we did to all these other lands, we utterly destroyed them. We wiped them out. There's nothing left. And you think you're going to survive? Where's their kings? Where are their leaders? And you're trusting in God? Where are their gods? Did their God save them? 
but you think God's going to save you. See, problems always have a way of puffing themselves up and making them seem bigger than they actually are. See, some of you are dealing with uncertainty, maybe on the job, about, uh, and you'll start seeing things like unemployment statistics that really start messing with your head and hearing about how hard it is to, for people to find work and hearing how bad the economy is. Or cancer has no problem letting you know how many lives it has taken. They'll show you your, the resume. Look how big I am. Sickness and disease will gladly show you their resume and tell you all about their statistics. Coronavirus will tell you how many people it's infected and give you statistics on filled up ICUs. Addiction is going to boast about the lives that it destroyed. Depression is going to convince you that there's no way out. And that's because the devil loves to build himself up. But then I think back to a story that I read about in the Bible somewhere when Moses spoke to the Lord by the way of this bush that was on fire, but it wasn't burning. And Moses asked him, who should I say sent me? And God, in all of his infinite wisdom, just said, you tell them I am that I am. And boy, that's all you need to know. I don't need to tell you what I've done. I don't need to tell you what I'm capable of. All you need to know, I am that I am. I don't have to give you my resume. I don't have to give you my statistics. I don't need you to, I don't need to give you my testimony. I don't need to tell you about all the victories that I have. I am that I am. And that's all you need to know. And if... You'll just go. I'll take care of all the rest. You just leave it to me. All you got to do is trust me. Don't let the statistics scare you. Don't let the enemy's resume take away your trust. Whose report are you going to believe? Because I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what the media says. Everything that comes out is a lie anyway. Uh, whose report will you believe? See, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of problem that you're facing. It doesn't matter how impossible the situation that you find yourself in. I came here to tell somebody that when you're battling sickness and disease, he's a healer. When it looks like you're going to lose your job, he's a provider. When you have no money, he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. When you're struggling with stress and anxiety, he's got peace that passes all understanding. When you're drowning in sorrow, he says, I'll trade you sorrow for joy. When you're feeling all alone, he says, I'm with you always. When, when you're in the storm, here comes Jesus walking on the water. You, you might be fighting addiction, but I'm here to tell you that he came to bring freedom to the captives. When you see no way out, I'm here to tell you that he's a way maker. Woo! I, I, I don't care what you're going through because I serve a God who is able. And I came here to tell you that he's got a personal stake in your victory. Tell your neighbor, God's got you. <laughs> sit down, sit down. So Hezekiah, he receives this letter. This awful, horrible letter. 
And it's just this it, 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 terrible list of works of the enemy. Verse 14 of chapter 37, and Isaiah says that Hezekiah received the letter, he read it, and then he went to the church. And he spread out that letter before the Lord. All my cards out on the table. Hezekiah prays to God with that letter spread before him. Here's what they're saying. Here's what they're saying, Lord. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Sometimes that's what we need to do. <laughs> just, just lay them problems out. Here's what, here's what they're saying, God. What are you going to do about it? What, what, not, quit, quit worrying about it. Quit letting you. You know why you stress and you worry? Because you still think you've got control. You still think that you actually control your fate, your destiny. You think that you can do something about it. And so you worry. That's what stress and worry. It's a, it's a lack of faith is what it is. But maybe if we would just lay them problems out and say, God, what are you going to do about it? What, what, what's going to happen? What, what are you going to do? Because I know I can't do nothing. This, you said the battle's yours. You said vengeance is mine. It ain't, it, it, it's not me. This is yours, Lord. What are you going to do about it? Verse 17, incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, which with has sent to, to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries. Listen to me very carefully. The enemy does not have to lie for their lie to be a lie. Look, Hezekiah is thinking they're speaking the truth, Lord. They, they really did lay waste on all these nations. He, he's not lying to me. I've heard the reports. They really did lay waste on all these nations. But the devil is a master manipulator. See, if I could convince some of you that the devil's not a liar, then maybe I could convince you that he is. See, watch this. We all think that when he's going to try and convince us, when, he, when, he, when he's going he's to tempt us, he's going to come to us with a lie. It's not a lie. And what I mean by that is he doesn't lie the way that we expect him to because the devil's not going to come to you and try to convince you that three plus three equals purple. No, what he's going to do is he's going to give you the truth, but he's not going to give you the whole truth. The devil was quoting scripture to Jesus. I think it was Psalms, what, 92, 93, 91, somewhere around there. He's quoting scripture to Jesus to try and tempt him. He's quoting, trying to manipulate it to fit his agenda. Well, if everything comes out of his mouth, it's a lie, and he's the father of all lies. Everything that he says is a lie. Does that mean that the scripture is no longer true? No. What the devil said to Jesus is true. Scripture is still true. But when you're fed a manipulated truth or only part of the truth, then you're on the receiving end of a lie. See, the devil's going to try to convince you that you're sick, and he'll even show you the doctor's report to prove it. But then he's leaving out one very important, tiny little detail. The Bible says, by my stripes, you are healed. See, the partial truth 
is when he tries to convince me that I have no value. Because when you look at the mud that I've dragged my life through, oh yeah, I've made my life worthless. I, it, it, it sure makes a lot of sense what you're saying, devil. David even said, I was born in sin. I was shaped in iniquity. But that's not the whole truth. Because the Bible also says, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He's going to try to convince you that what he's saying is the truth. And in a way, in a way it is. It's just not the whole truth. So I ask you again, whose report are you going to believe? Hezekiah said, Lord, they destroyed these countries. They're, they're speaking the truth. But God says, don't be deceived. I came to tell the devil, victory over there doesn't mean you're going to have victory over here. <laughs> One win over there doesn't mean you're going to come into my life and have your way over here. And don't you let that mentality that seems to be so prevalent in the, in the world creep into the church. You might have won out there, but devil, you got your work cut out for you right here because with me, I fight back. I don't surrender. I don't give up. You deal with me, you better know in advance, I fight back. You got your work cut out for you. Because see, my weapon is my worship. You might have won out there, but you just wait until I break my weapon out and you have to deal with me. Boy, you got a fight on your hands. You got something you're going to have to contend with that you ain't seen anything like it yet. See, some of you putting up a fight right now with your praise. Just walk all over the devil. Hey, here, watch what Hezekiah said in verse 9. I'm, I'm hurrying. It's true, Lord. They laid waste. They destroyed them, all these nations and countries. But verse 19, they've cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. The enemy says... I destroyed kings. They laid waste to the nations. They tried to intimidate us by talking about all the gods that they destroyed. But they forgot one very important thing. There is no other God. There were no gods. They were just the works of men's hand. You're bragging about destroying a little G.I. Joe that they were worshiping, a little Barbie doll figure that they were worshiping. You didn't destroy anything because they, you, you, they were nothing. They weren't gods. They were wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed nothing. And you're trying to mark that in the, uh, the win column. That's a forfeit. They didn't even show up for the fight. You won because the other team didn't exist. That's what you're bragging about. You call that a victory. You destroyed nothing. Devil, let me introduce you to my God. You just let me bring my God into the mix. You're going to learn what victory really means. You're going you're gonna to learn what a fight really is. You're going to learn what war really looks like. Just let me bring my God into the mix. And let's see what you think about your victory. In the end, he will win. 
In the end, there is no other God. It's just him on the throne here on Israel. The Lord our God is one. I'm, 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 I'm hurrying to a close. Musicians, y'all can, y'all can start getting ready. Hezekiah prays. Verse 20. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. I know there's no other gods. Let, uh, let all the world know there's only one. And after his prayer, Isaiah sends word to him. He says, this is the word which the Lord hath spoken concerning Sennacherib, this guy. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high? You think you're there fighting Israel. You think you're there fighting this tribe of Judah. You think they're fighting Hezekiah. God says they've blasphemed and reproached and lifted up their eyes against who? The Holy One of Israel. See, this is what happens when you live for God. This is what happens when you are a child of the one true living God. The attacks that are against you that you thought were personal. Well, they were because God took it personally. Isaiah said, by thy servants hast thou reproached the Lord. See, you, you sent your messengers against Judah, but your reproach is against the Holy One of Israel. He says, you messed up now, devil. You thought you were attacking me, but God's got a personal stake in my victory. God says, when you mess with my kids, when you mess with my children, you're messing with me. See, the devil tried to throw his resume at you like he's actually won something. He tried to intimidate you. But look at what Isaiah says. Watch this. Verse 26. Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste defense cities into ruinous heaps. In other words, God says, boy, you attack because I let you attack. You, you did it because I gave you permission. And you think you want something? He, he the devil goes to attack Job. Well, actually, he just, the devil shows up to church. Y'all realize that? God shows up with all of his angels. They're worshiping and everything. Here comes the devil marching up. God looks at him. What have you been, what, what are you doing here? He says, I've been marching, walking to and fro, seeing what kind of trouble I can get in. God says, trouble that you want. Okay. Have you considered my servant Job? You want to know the truest thing that the devil ever said? He, 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 he looks at God and says, I can't touch him. You, you have blessed him so much. You protect everything that he's got. You, you bless everything that he touches. I can't do anything to him. That's what serving God will do for you. God says, I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll lift my protection. And it tells us one very important, that's the truest thing that the devil ever said right there. He can't touch you. God says, you're only going to lay a finger on him if I give you permission. He said, I, I, I'll lift my protection just a little bit. 
Why don't you see what you can do? I, here, here it is again. You attack because I let you attack. You, you laid waste to those cities because I brought it to pass. Sounds like a trap to me. You think you won great victories? You, you can't lay a hand on them unless I give you permission. And you think that you got power? That's not power. Therefore, verse 27, their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded because they, they were of small power. The, the, the enemy's victories are small victories. His resume is just dusted with, with little victories. The devil said that he laid waste to these nations and countries. God said those were small powers. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'll show you power. You tried to bolster your intimidation by talking of gods that you destroyed, but there are no other gods. Therefore, you didn't destroy anything. You tried to build your resume by, by listing nations that you laid waste to, but God said that was small victories. They were small powers. He says in verse 27, they were as the grass of the field. Anybody ever mowed your yard before and see how easily it just cuts through that stuff? God says they were like the grass of the field and as the green herb and as the, the grass on the housetops and as corn blasted before it's even grown up. Before it's even grown, it's, it's baby corn. It's little power. Small victories that you got. God, the, the enemy might have won some little battles, but the war is just getting started. God says, verse 28, I, I know thy abode. Boy, I know where you live. <laughs> I know thy abode. I, I know you're coming, you're going, and your rage against me. And because your rage against me and your tumult has come up unto mine ears, therefore will I put my hook in your nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back the same way that you came. God told the enemy, now you got my attention, and you're going you're gonna to regret that you ever did. I promise you're not going to be happy that you got my attention. God says, I'll put my hook in your nose, my bridle over your mouth. I'll turn you right back around and send you out the way you came. I'll send you running like a scared dog with its tail tucked between its legs. You ain't seen nothing yet. And so now, 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 now. We, we, we come back full circle to our scripture text at the beginning. I told you. I, I, I told you the end of the story. That was dumb. Why did I do that? Why, why, why would I tell you we're going to win at the very beginning? I should have built it up. So we go back to, the, back to the end. Therefore, verse 33, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning that, that, little, that little king of Assyria. Doesn't even bother to name him. I, I'm not even going to mention his name. That little guy. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake, because God has got a personal stake. He will defend you for his own sake. See, Sennacherib thought that he battled against Judah. He didn't know you just took on Jehovah, boy. The enemy always bites off more than it can chew. 
Goliath thought that he battled the armies of the Israelites, but David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Pharaoh thought that his fight was with the people of Israel. But God said in Exodus 4, Israel is my boy. That's my son, my firstborn. And I say unto you, let my sons go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your son, even your firstborn. You took my son. Now I'm going to take yours. The devil picked a fight with me, but God took it personal and said, I'm stepping in now. Thought that he battled the people, but God said, I'm gonna defend this city for my sake, not yours. I'm gonna do it for me. It's my reputation on the line. Somebody needs to hear me today. I don't know what kind of fight that you find yourself in. I don't know what kind of trials and tribulations that you might be going through, but I want you to know that you are not in it by yourself. God is your defender. You didn't earn it. You and I don't deserve it, but God's got a personal stake in our victory. And I will see a victory, not because of what I've done, but for God's sake. He's going to defend his children, not because of your merit, but he's going to do it for your sake. Sickness might have ravaged your body, but God says, I don't think so, devil. That's my temple now. And then there isn't enough room for the both of us to stay there. And so one of us has got to go. So sickness, you better pack your bags and leave. Sin may have you bound, but God says to the enemy, I'm not going to allow you to possess what I already purchased. That's mine. That's mine. The devil might have won the battle, but God's going to win the war because victory Victory belongs to Jesus. Would you stand? I'm, 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 done. I'm almost done. 36. Then the angel, then the angel of the Lord went forth and he smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and four score and five thousand. And when, when they arose early in the morning, behold, they all did. If you remember the word of the Lord that came forth from his prophet Isaiah, he said that Sennacherib is going to go back home and he's going to fall by the sword. Hezekiah, you're not going to have to lift a finger. I'm going to take care of this myself. Father in heaven says, they said, what about my boy? You just sit back and you let me take care of this. <laughs> Verse 38. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of whatever his God's name was, don't matter, he don't exist. I think I'm going to disrespect him because I mispronounced it. As he's worshiping in this little house of this God that doesn't, that doesn't actually exist, says that his boys smote him with the sword. Fulfill scripture, brings the prophecy to pass. His own sons killed him with the sword, just like God said that he would through the prophet Isaiah. The angel of the Lord killed 185,000 enemy soldiers in a single night, and not one Israelite ever had to lift a finger. Don't tell me that God can't do it. You might be feeling the fight, but let me tell you that the battle is not yours. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And he said, I'm going to defend this city. I'm going to defend this body. I'm going to defend my child. For my sake, these altars are open. I'm asking you to come. And I'm here to tell somebody that God is invested in you. He's got a personal stake in your triumph. You might, have, you might feel neglected, but God has not forgotten about you. 
I'm talking to somebody that's been struggling, feeling abandoned right now, and the enemy is right there on your heels. You might feel like you've been ignored, like you're not even a thought in the mind of God. Your problems are puffing themselves up. The enemy is flexing its strength against you with this glorious show of force. Your problems are prepared for war. And just like the people of Judah in the story, you feel like you're wiped out. I don't have any fight left in me. I don't see a way out. I don't have anything left. All that's left in me is a remnant. But God says, and the remnant, verse 31, and the remnant that has escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. See, God is fighting for you. He's got a personal stake in you. And because of his mercy and because of his grace, I can look at my enemy dead in the face and say, I will see victory. I will see victory. For God's sake, I will see victory. If you need a miracle right now, I want you to lift up your hands up high. Raise them high. Raise them high. I came here tonight with a very specific word that I'm here to remind you that you are a child of the living God and he's going to defend you for his own sake and you are going to see victory. Why? Because he has never known defeat. Just like Hezekiah laying out the enemy's letter before the Lord, you need to come and lay your problems at this altar before God. But don't you pick them back up. You don't leave here with those problems that you laid out. But the battle is not yours. And so let God fight your battles for you. If you have a need tonight, if you need a miracle right now, you want us to help pray for you, then you ought to take a step of faith right now. Make your way down to this front. Believing that victory is just on the other side of that step of faith. If you have a specific need, make it known that you want prayer. We're going to join forces and we're going to pray with you. We're going to bind and agree with you right now. I know. I, I, I don't have to know the details. God's a gentleman. We're not here to air out everything that you're going through. I don't need to know what's going on. I know I don't need your details. I know God and God knows the details. All I got to see, I got connections, y'all. All I got to do is call him up and say, hey, my friend here has got a need. You already know about it. I'm just here to tell you that I'm praying. I'm praying for him. I'm praying for him. I'm believing for him right now. So you just lift it up right now. We're about to put the gift of faith in operation right now. It might be sickness in your body. It might be pain that you're feeling. It might be disease. I'm here to tell you that God, he operates in the impossible. See, he, he makes the impossible probable. He, he makes the extraordinary ordinary. That's what my God can do. And so there is no problem too big. Don't you worry about your, your little disease that we're not even gonna bother to name tonight. God, God, God didn't, he didn't call out Sennacherib by name. He said that, that king that came up against you, that, that king with a little K, <laughs> we're not even gonna name it. That, that little thing that you, that, you, that you brought here, God, God's got it. And we're gonna lift it up for him right now. Because I serve a God who's able. It might be your mental health being attacked. It might be a problem for you. I'm here to tell you, it's not a problem for God. That's his specialty. 
See, whatever it is that you're going through right now, I'm asking you to come to this altar right now. Prepare for battle. Prepare for battle. My worship is my weapon. Prepare for battle. God's got you. You're going to see victory. You need a miracle. I'm here to declare it. You need victory. I'm here to speak it. All we got to do is speak, declare the name of Jesus. No, you don't have to lift a sword. You don't have to, to raise up a spear in this kind of battle. Your praise is your weapon. <laughs> worship is the way that this battle is won. So as the worship team gets ready, you get your problems to the Lord and let God do a work in your life. Lift him up now. Lift him up. Lay your problems before the Lord. I'm gonna sing Lay your problems before God. He's gonna work it out. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus name.